This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hey. And Ollie Court. Hello there. Two in a row with all three of us. That's the uh, first time in a long time, probably. I honestly don't remember the last time we managed like the, the full round table. Two in a row. It was last year. <laughs> so we're like nine months into that year. Somebody has actually had a baby since then. <laughs> Brit Rest had, well, I say Brit Rest. Wrestling in Britain had a very big weekend over the last weekend. Um, I think it was Ian uh, Ian Seaton who, who put the tweet out saying, man, it's amazing that there's two huge shows going on on the same weekend in Britain. But a couple of years ago, I'd have really thought it would have been two British companies doing that sort of thing. But, you know, that's that's where we are. And uh, Summer Sizzler happened. Royal Quest happened. NXT Fakeover Cardiff happened. It was it was a big thing. There's some news. We're gonna cover all of it. Uh, I was there. Arm was there. Ollie was there for half of it. The uh, the Japanese half. <laughs> the good half. <laughs> yeah, let's get straight to it. Summer Sizzler. There's one match in particular that you know is gonna be generating all the conversation. It's a controversial one. If you follow anyone on Twitter from Brett Rest, you'll have seen a lot of arguing back and forth, a lot of anger about this one. Osprey versus David Starr. Now, Ollie, I'm going to need you to, to hold on back. He's probably <laughs> ready to rant, ready to explode, but I need you to do a, a Desperado on Azuka while I set it up. I'll, I'll keep him at bay, but his hand is on his forehead. He's ready to blow. This was an incredible match for the first half hour. It's two of the best wrestlers in the world going at it. Half an hour of amazing action, followed by 15 minutes of absolute Attitude Era, McMahon, control of the company, main event, storyline, bullshit for 15 minutes. Uh, absolute slapstick stuff. The first half hour was amazing. The last 15 minutes, I absolutely hated. Arn, go for it. Did, did it really go 15 minutes at the end? <laughs> I'm maybe ten, but it was it was a long. It 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 was just more and more and more and more, wasn't it? I well, I don't know because I walked out. Um, so what I saw was uh, the ref bump, uh, the Quilden getting chased around the ring bit, trying to do the boxing shirt, uh, you know, jacket off, uh, and I remember screaming, "Fuck this bullshit!" And I just I would I walked out, so I I actually don't know how much worse it got. So you'd probably have to explain. I think you walked out like during the finish, like 
he had him up for the the Stormbreaker, and that's as you seem to be walking out to me, and that was the actual finish. There's more but... controversy as to Arn's whereabouts than <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even look back, so I don't. No, that may have been the case, but like it felt yeah. like I was in the pub for quite a long time before anyone else turned up. Well, there was kind of like a, a post-match with Star like, on his knees and stuff. But yeah, uh, in case we haven't made it clear, Os- Will Ospreay beat David Starr to kick David Starr out of the company. We'll see how long that lasts, but it's, it's an interesting Not thing. Not very uh, long, I would imagine. <laughs> it's everything, it's everything that, that WWE do that I hate, which is why I don't watch the company. I don't need that in my in my wrestling. It's I've never gone uh, to watch Rev Pro to watch all this rinky dink bullshit with like the the Benny Hill chase around the ring and all the the fucking multiple ref bumps. That's not why I watch these smaller companies and the smaller companies that do do that kind of thing. <laughs> ICW, I don't watch. <laughs> so there's a pattern emerging there. I said to uh, I think it was Eddie Sideburns. I said I'm j- I'm fucking done with this company. Because if you put on that kind of bullshit in the main event, then what's to stop you doing it again? And I find it very frustrating that Rev Pro um, this year have drawn two massive houses, this one and the one for Pack versus Osprey, and both times they fucked it. And I know it's they drew, they put themselves in a position where the big draw was a match where, like one guy probably couldn't beat the other one, but. That's exactly the problem that he's got. He painted himself into a corner both times. There was no way out of it this time because there's no way that, uh, that Osprey was losing that match. So what was the point of booking it? If you if you can't do a finish, what's the point? Especially when you the whole angle that they spent two years building towards was this uh, this ownership of the company business, which honestly is a load of old bollocks anyway. And I feel a great deal of sympathy towards the wrestlers because I thought, as you said, Rob, Osprey and Star had an absolutely out of this world great match. I said to whoever stood next to me, I think it was Gary, that I thought it was a European match of the year, hands down. It was that good. And then it just went completely off the rails. And that's not either of the wrestlers' fault. That's down to the booking. And I know... Some people have been defending it, saying that it's kind of like a, oh, that's that's sports entertainment. That's fine. That is, it's not. That's not why I'm there. If I was at a WWE show and that happened, I'd be like, oh, it's WWE. What can you do? And I'd have just probably wouldn't have gone back, which is what I normally don't do because I don't like the company. I don't like its booking. But like for Red Pro to do when they're they're best they're basing themselves as like a British version of New Japan. You just can't do that kind of thing. And it annoys me when uh, New Japan book equally shoddy angles in their own company, but more often than not, they're nowhere near the main event. So you don't send the fans home pissed off. They've never got close to this much. Like A lot of people have said, with the type of match it was and the story it was, and I'll I'll get into that and I'll address that in in a sec, but with all that, it was always going to have bullshit. Yes, but there's levels to this shit, man. Like, what there was... Kia said to me, like, well, how, how would you have booked it? And I was like, what? You need something to go wrong there. So either you book it as a no disqualification match so you can do all that shit without the ref bump, or you do a ref bump and then uh, something that leads straight into the finish. 
I just don't need this elongated, extended uh, nonsense. Fucking load of shenanigans. Um, too many to go into, really. And I was having a chat with, with, pretty sure it was Ben Owens afterwards, and he said, imagine how different things would have been if, after that initial ref bump, Andy Quilden rolls into the ring, pulls his jacket off, he's wearing a ref shirt underneath, which is a nice little callback to, you know, Andy Quilden's past. Osprey, they, they fight for a little bit longer. Osprey hits a Stormbreaker. Andy Quilden counts three. How much better is that? And that gets across the exact same story they want to, but so much more successfully. And I don't, th- well, I won't say no one would have complained about that because, you know, it's it's life. There's always going to be someone complaining, but there would have been so many fewer complaints. And I think every, almost everyone would have walked away happy. I, I could have lived with that because it makes everyone look strong. Whereas, like, I know, I know Andy Hughes had to set himself up as a bit of a, a bit of a joke, but then he's supposed to be the babyface in this. The whole point was that Star was supposed to be the heel. So, like, I know he's getting cheered wildly by everybody, but he's supposed to be the heel. So you have him and you have Shay trying to uh, manipulate the situation and cheat. So Andy Quilden comes down, big hero. Oh, I'm going to make the big save, and then he just runs away. What the hell is that? Well, he's he getting booed <laughs> after winning the match. That's that's oh, we'll get onto that bit in a bit, but like for me it was that it was 30 minutes of amazing wrestling between two of the best wrestlers on the planet and they it wasn't just amazing, it was these two guys were murdering each other. They were putting their bodies mm. on the line. There's one moment when Star hits like a Uranagi onto um on Will onto like the uh the the ring barricade like facing upwards like perpendicularly right into his back just like kind of bending over that that would murder you there's another moment when i think osprey is pushed off the top rope through a barricade that's kind of draped across from the apron to the the ring and he bends the 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 metal barricade in half these two guys absolutely savaged each other they work an incredible match for half an hour and it was all made so inconsequential. That's oh. what really frustrated me. Like I think we had slightly different reactions to um, coming out of the match. You were obviously very angry, and I completely get that. But I came away more less angry and more just disappointed. Because for me, it was like, wow, RPW. This was like the final kind of straw of me going, damn, RPW is never going to fully get out of their own way. They're never going to be the promotion that they tease being because they're so close. They're so close a lot of the time. And at times they get there. At times when they're they're really going for the kind of the pure sport, wrestling above all else, great matches, that sort of presentation. The, you know, I think as that's we the said, worst thing about it is they clearly don't see themselves the same way. Otherwise they wouldn't have run that. So that it's it's more it's just so everything about this was incredibly frustrating to me because I like like you said that match was great I was there I was loving it I thought it was phenomenal uh, like like I said earlier I had this as my European match of the year after about twenty something minutes I was like it's it's so good and they still haven't got to the final stretch it's like what are they going to do in the final stretch it just completely put it over the edge. 
but it did the completely the wrong way and everything about this was just incredibly frustrating to the point where I was I was literally swearing the promotion off because I was just like well, why I don't see what the point of going to these shows is if they're going to spend I don't know say they spend another year building up something else and then the payoff is some fucking horse shit like this it's like what is the point and as I said, I have, I have great sympathy for the two wrestlers involved because I thought they did an excellent job with what they were told to do. But, like, I just hated the booking. And I I did get the chance to speak to David Starr about it, which... Um, so he, he said that he felt the, the ref bump and the shenanigans were necessary. Which I... I don't know if I agree with that, but, like, he's saying it's a big angle, uh, so shenanigans had to happen for that to... To, to play out like it did and he also said that he thought that the uh that everyone in the back liked it so that it was well received uh among the boys which i don't know it depends what they're what they're fans of but like i, I didn't like it that much I, I think shenanigans were probably necessary with the way they had built the story up i know that it's not too the like i guess what our image of rev pro is of like that pure sports feel but, I mean, they have been running, you know, this David Starr angle for a long time, and it has been, you know, sports entertainment-y. But, like, yeah. to the, the extent to which it came to, you know, putting the Benny Hill music to Andy Q yeah. running around the ring, like, it does, as Rob said, sort of cancel out the previous match. Like, it does feel like two matches distinct from each other. And, I don't know, maybe if it hadn't gone so long, if it hadn't been 15 minutes of shenanigans, if it hadn't been... I mean, 30 minutes of a great match is awesome, but when combined that runtime is 45 minutes of stuff happening, both good and bad, like, it, it drains you. And, I don't know, maybe a more concise match on both both ends may have been better. As we said before, if the shenanigans had just been one ref bump leading straight to the finish that would may have been more well received than, as you say, sort of a, a pile on of bullshit leading yeah, I might to have rolled uh, my eyes a getting little furious. Bit, but, <laughs> I, I might have rolled my eyes a little bit if they'd done like something that led to the finish, but I'd have been alright with it, I think. Yeah. Whereas like all it was the just the presentation of it. It didn't need to be like that. And I think they they really, really fucked up really badly here. It was what it was, it was 30 minutes of a match of the year contender and then tacked onto the end of it was Sting versus Triple H from that WrestleMania. <laughs> that, and it's like, that's the kind of match you do when you don't have two of the best wrestlers in the world because that's what you need to do. But instead, yeah. they, they, they had a match that handicapped them. They, they, well, they had an ending to a match that absolutely handicapped themselves and made the entire efforts. And, you know, not that I think the, the wrestlers themselves will feel disrespected, but it felt disrespectful to me to watch those guys go out there, have that match and have it end like that. It felt almost disrespectful for the work that they'd already done. Uh, that, that's just how it kind of came across. And I don't want to present that everyone in the arena hated it. A lot of people did hate it. And that's, especially in our area. Um, yeah, but, uh, I, I were... think it kind of shows what wrestling you're into as to whether you hated it or not. Yeah. <laughs> but even 
even people that we get along with, and often we have very similar takes on wrestling with, there were people who really didn't matter, uh, didn't mind this. Um, today, well, after after the Royal Quest show, I had a, a little chat with JP, and he was saying he didn't mind it anywhere near as much as we did. And Rev Joe from from uh, those two guys from the Grapple Spotlight, another great great podcast to to check out if you uh, need more of the the British wrestling talk. Um, he really quite enjoyed it. So I today went and listened to his podcast because I'm he's a guy who I respect. I respect his wrestling opinions, and I was really curious to hear his thoughts. And he actually, you know, he put forward in depth, well explained why he enjoyed the match. And I kind of this isn't going to be set up as like a me taking down his opinions. It's more like a I found it interesting the positives he took away from it because a lot of them. What he was saying, I was like, well, that's true, but for me, that's a negative. So I've kind of, I've, I've made notes. I'll, I'll go through them. One of the big positives that oh, he wow. took away was that this, he found the main event hilarious and tremendous slapstick comedy. The that, main that event. That sounds like Rob's personal nightmare. <laughs> the main event of RP, well, I think it's fair to say Summer Sizzler, usually RevPro's biggest show of the year. I said that, and somebody argued that it was high stakes. It, uh, Pete Hitchcock argued that it was high high stakes. It's at it's certainly one, one of the, the big like, three, big three, big four. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the dead bigger shows. The main event of that, two of the best wrestlers in the world. I think there's very few people who would argue that. David Starr, Will Ospreay. I think that's a first time ever match. Maybe I may be wrong, but you know we haven't seen it in quite a long time at minimum. Two certainly amazing matches, and you're having slapstick. Hilarious slapstick in the main event. What the fuck? Like, why is that what you want from your main event? Why are you choosing that? <laughs> now you're not, you're not Beru and Joe at all. <laughs> that, What's wrong with I you, don't know. <laughs> Like that's, <laughs> that's that's just kind of my view. He he also said, and you know this is something that I've heard quite a few people say, is it was kind of a combination of one. A lot of people went in with the wrong expectations, and two, the story dared I, I go in expecting something good. Step right. So for the expectations thing, it was kind of that with the story going in, and with you know the something that I've seen quoted a lot of times, the match graphic had Andy Quilden in the purse in the uh, the in the graphic. What did you expect? Yeah, I definitely expected Quilden in the match after seeing that. Step one, there's levels to this shit, man. Like, they, <laughs> <laughs> there's a difference between kind of the 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 scenario I outlined where, like, you know, he rolls into the ring, pulls off a ref shirt and counts the three count something, and what we got with him running around the ring being chased, all that shit. It was, it was lit... For those who haven't seen it, it was literally... A McMahon control of the country, uh, company Astudia remain event finish. That was the type of bullshit it was. Like that's no exaggeration. It might have even been worse than some of them because we had you know so many different refs coming in. We had the fucking Shay storyline come back when that was basically finished in the El Fantasmo match. But whatever. I, I had um, several people ask me who it was just because they hadn't been watching the the previous matches and just didn't know what the hell was going on. Who was that guy in the bow tie? As somebody asked me. He also brought up that, like, you know, that the story dictated it and that the people who were expecting something different maybe didn't follow the story. 
well, that's that's a reasonable thing. But also, York Hall is a show that's going to be watched by a lot more people than their smaller shows. I think that's that's fair to expect. To have a match in the main event where you need to have watched the smaller shows on, particularly on a weekend like this, where there's a lot of people there to see New Japan, and because New Japan stars are on the repro show, you're going to have people showing up to the Rev Pro card. To have such a like a storyline heavy match, you know the beautiful thing about kind of a pure sports build. You don't have to know all the intricacies. You can jump in and love it. You have something like that, some intricate thing. You can do it in a way where it's tremendous for everyone, but maybe adds a little bit more if you haven't watched everything. But no, for that match, if you weren't invested in the storyline, which a lot of people won't have been, then it's a clear negative. And I think that's almost not properly realising where you're at as a company almost, because RevPro is a company that a lot of people check in for those big three, four shows a year and don't follow intricately. And I think you almost have to, by fighting against that, Obviously, you want people to watch all the shows, but by fighting so strongly against that, you're almost handicapping yourself. And then also, it's wrong is it, It's wrong to have the expectations that two of the best wrestlers in the world are going to have a match where they can have a great match and it not be full with bullshit. Maybe, maybe with the storyline, that is true that it's the wrong expectations, but you know what? You book this shit. You choose what story to tell. You have chosen to book the two two of the best wrestlers in the world against each other, and you've chosen to handicap yourself. And t- you're telling people that, yes, we've booked two of the best wrestlers in the world, but you shouldn't I- expect a great match with a great satisfying finish because we don't want to put that on. How is that a positive? That's... What, what the fuck's going on here? What are we doing? What are we doing here, I, I think you might be angrier than me about this. Um... <laughs> The third thing is even if everything about it, you everything we've already covered, you're fine with all of that, you disagree with all of that, fair enough. Even if you think they took the exact right direction to go, it didn't fucking work. Do you know what? Because Will Ospreay, the most over-wrestler in that company for the past four or five years or whatever, he got fucking booed at the end and he was the face! He got booed! <laughs> It didn't work! You accidentally got your biggest face in the company booed! He was the the valiant guy fighting for the company, coming back, the conquering hero, fighting for the face owner. He beat the tyrannical hero, uh, the the tyrannical heel, finally getting his comeuppance, and he got booed! It didn't work! You failed in everything about that show about this whole storyline, you were completely happy with it. The, the fucking crowd that you had booed when the face won at the end. You failed with that story, even if that story, you're quite happy with what it was. It failed with the crowd. How can you say it was successful? Now... <laughs> <laughs> we need to... <laughs> now... For a little bit of balance, not everyone booed. <laughs> not everyone booed, but I bet if you watch on VOD, there's there's a lot more people booing than cheering. It's when the match ended, when Andy Quilden gives the thumbs down, Will Osprey 
uh, does the Stormcutter pin star one, two, three, there's a far more negative reaction than a positive one. And that means the story you're telling, you have failed. That's, I, I don't, I would love to hear, and if you disagree with that, I'm very interested to see your point of view. And I'm very interested to hear. And if you've interpreted uh, that differently, I'm interested to hear it. But I don't see any other way when you've had a two year long storyline and the storyline ends and the face gets booed. I don't see how that's viewed as a success. This is like listening to myself from Friday nights. (laughs) (laughs) How mad you are about it. Just to put that into context. I was so angry about this finish. I was literally ranting to absolutely anyone that would listen. And and people who didn't want to listen <laughs> were still, were still hearing about <laughs> it. Including David Starr. Including David Starr. Uh, Barricading him into the, into the slight, I I didn't barricade him in. Uh, I had a quiet <laughs> chat. Um, I was far more civil about it uh, with David um, to his face than, than I was to the match in general uh, when everyone else was uh, kind of crowding around wondering why I was so angry. But yeah, Rob, you actually are equally as angry about it, which uh, kind of makes me feel better. That was beautiful. (laughs) Well done, Rob. Yeah, I enjoyed that. And I completely agree with pretty much everything, especially the final point, that it, you know, no matter how you justify it, it is a creative failure because... Will Osprey got booed at the end, <laughs> and that no matter how funny or I mean, it is at least it was memorable. I'll give it that. <laughs> like nobody will ever forget that match and forget that's being true. There. That's true. Um, and kind of my big takeaway from this whole this whole situation is that RevPro doesn't know what it wants to be. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been thinking about RevPro a lot. I've been thinking about this whole scenario. And I've kind of I've kind of got three different scenarios in my head. So apologies, guys, but I may may do a little bit of a monologue here. I realize I've just gone on a big <laughs> ramp, but I've got I've got this this thesis to lay out. You, you came in prepared, Rob. I came in with nothing. I was just going to kick back and listen to your opinions. So like, let, let them rip. Right. So. The impression I get is RevPro and, you know, kind of, I guess in this, we're, we're talking about Andy Quilden. I think we should say we both like Andy Quilden. He's a great guy. He's, he's a good promoter. He's put on a lot of really sh- shows I've really enjoyed in the past. And this isn't like criticism necessarily as him as a person. And I feel the need to put it out uh, that out there ahead of this because people are always going to construe this horribly. This is kind of just criticism of the, the art presented. Now, the impression I get is that there's a conflict in his mind between kind of the the pure sports is what I I model it as a lot of the time. But I don't necessarily mean that because I mean like New Japan and New Japan isn't this this bastion of clean finishers. They have their bullshit. They have that. But in general, it's a you win, you move up, you lose, you move down. Wins and losses matter. There's while there is interference and stuff it's overall it's predominantly about the wrestling like the match the main event here you would never have in new japan to that degree there are definitely matches with bullshit especially in the bullet club matches but you 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 never have that benny hill like running around the ring bullshit 
that's on one side. And you can clearly see the influence, obviously partially because he's booking half the New Japan roster and that they're the people drawing a lot of people to his shows for the most part. Uh, also in the contenders, you know, there it's no no great revelation to say they're a bit like the Young Lions, you know. That's that's quite an obvious <laughs> parallel there. Um, Never noticed that before. It's quite the similarity. You you know you've got people who've come up in that promotion are now integral parts of New Japan and they're, they're still booked. Fucking the champion is Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, he's a New Japan guy. He's the champion of the company. Um, You've you've got Will Ospreay, you've got Zack Sabre Jr. You've had you know you look at all the the Rev Pro champions for the last what three years. I think pretty much every one of them's currently in New Japan. That's like their main place of work. So that that there's you know I'm not I'm not revealing anything amazing by saying there's quite a strong influence there. I don't think that's a, an outrageous statement. But also there's a very clear and my guess is it's kind of like a childhood nostalgia driven thing can, can i just quickly interrupt and say the last uh, champion they had who was not a new japan guy was marty skull and that was 2015 so it's been four years and even he and is... he went there eventually so if you kind of want to go further back than that it would have it's been called cabana, cabana which, yeah. <laughs> which is who was like, also wrestled for new japan recently <laughs> so uh, it's Shaw samuels is the the only one literally That's the, only, the only, one. only one that's how long they've been tied together um so yeah I, i'm not making some great leap to say rev pro has a little bit of influence from new japan but also on the other side kind of a nostalgia driven i imagine from kind of you know what what the people running that company are uh, were enjoying growing up there's a very clear like attitude era influence. I don't think that's a big jump. I think this main event is probably the the starkest example, but in a lot of the way the finishes work, work out, a lot of the the storylines and the the interference heavy stuff we get, especially on the non York Hall shows, but you know definitely this main event as I've alluded to several times already this podcast. This was this was a like a tribute to um, Shane McMahon. And Mr. McMahon interfering in Attitude main events, um, just with better better wrestlers individually. Although you know they were interfering in some Kurt Angle matches, so it, in many ways there's a lot of parallels there. And to me, it feels like those two kind of psyches, those two things that are enjoyed by the people running the company, are always in conflict. And the problem is, it's like Repro doesn't know what it wants to be. There's, there's, there's three different scenarios in my head. There's one, it wants to be that New Japan style thing. Not not where everything has a clean finish, but there's there's overall, it's presented like a sport for the most part. I, you know, everyone listening to this knows what New Japan's like for the most part. Like, we know what that, that kind of idea is. Hell, there was a show the next, the, the following night after Summer Sizzler that most people who went to Summer Sizzler were. That's kind of on one side of things. And if he wants to be that, then why the fuck is he having main events like this? Because that's that that if that's what he thinks New Japan is, then he needs to watch it. So we can almost disregard that. On the other side of the things, there's what if he wants to be pure Attitude Era? Well, if that's the case, then this main event fits in perfectly. But you're drawing your crowd predominantly from people 
especially initially, maybe he's he's brought some funds in with the New Japan guys, but then they, they become fans of RevPro. But the majority of people who come to these big RevPro shows are coming either because of the New Japan talent or because of the British talent who they are fans of from New Japan. That's... You know, I, I don't, don't think have to reach at all. I feel that's yeah, pretty accurate. That's again, I I don't think I'm making a big big jump here. Especially this show of all shows, the night before Royal Quest, you you you've got Osprey in the main event. You've got uh, Tanahashi, Suzuki, uh, Okada, and Tana. Uh, fuck, who I made this? Oh, and Saber in in the in the semi. You've got um, the Gorillas of Destiny weirdly getting the biggest reaction of the night, um, which was somewhat surprising, but, you know, it's, it shows what type of fa- uh, fandom this was. There, there's a clear, there's a clear, clear delineation that a lot of these people are coming because they're fans of New Japan, in which case I think you have drastically misread your audience if you think people that are coming to your shows because of New Japan want this Attitude Era bullshit. I started going because they started booking New Japan uh, talent. And I, I, I don't know if I want to just come out and say this, but like I don't think I've ever actually been a fan of Rev Pro. More the fact that they booked people who I liked and maybe didn't do a terrible job with it. But like if you look at the core of what Rev Pro is and what the, if you look at the stuff before New Japan was involved, it was not a good promotion. There was some sporadically good wrestling built around the talent that was coming through in Britrest at the time, and I think it's luck more than anything that you've got that talent coming through, and it's been combined with the New Japan talent, giving you some really great shows like 2015, 2016, and, and since then. But yeah, as as for like RevPro itself, we tried to watch like some of their TVs and stuff, and it honestly just shit. I don't think I'd go quite as far to say it is I don't know shit without the New Japan influence, but yeah, I mean definitely, um, people come in because of the big ticket names from New Japan. Like the first show I went to was because Shinsuke Nakamura was slap bang middle on the poster, um. And I wanted to go see him. I, like, I do think there have been some quite good stuff that has been, you know, d- very definitely Rev Pro without any New Japan influence. But yeah, like, it's maybe not the norm that, that like, that is definitely what you're going to get without I feel like the if I'm doing, like, a percentage on. thing of, like, the things that I've enjoyed versus the things that I haven't enjoyed, it's like... It's the same as uh, like the New Japan Ring of Honor partnership. It's like the stuff that I enjoyed was the New Japan stuff, and the stuff that I didn't enjoy is Ring of Honor. I think a hundred percent of almost all the stuff I haven't enjoyed has been like the Rev Pro stuff, and that's not even a knock on any of the the wrestlers that were involved. Like I didn't think it was a terrible idea to have Curtis Chapman win the uh, the cruiserweight title, but the crowd clearly didn't care, and every time he's tried to build with with people who are not involved at all in in new japan or have gotten over elsewhere uh like your your david stars uh when tim thatcher and 
and Volta were involved. That was very much the case that they got over somewhere else. They came to RevPro, got over there. Same with CCK. If you look at RevPro's history for making their own stars, it's not been very good. Mm, I, I, I think I could partially agree with that. Obviously, the, you've got Oku at the moment. I think they've done a, a big part in elevating him. Um, I think got... that's fair, but like you look at the the guys that they're using at the moment, and the vast majority of them have gotten over somewhere else. Yeah, and then um, gotten used in Red Pro. Yeah, like they they were a big part of getting Osprey over initially. Obviously, progress was also a big part, but that you know, I I'd just put it kind of fifty fifty. I, I feel yeah, like it's been that's... a while since anybody got over there, with the exception of of OJMO. I think El Fantasmo they did a solid job with. Them giving big matches to Osprey, Sabre Jr. and Skull definitely pushed them upwards. Like, obviously, like, their characters, especially Skull and Osprey, with the Havoc feud, did obviously get built by progress, and, like, that's sort of where their identity was formed. But the actual, like, matches that we remember from their rises, I think, took place in RevPro, which, again, speaks to the, the sports build, I guess, but, like, they're maybe the best at presenting those big-time-feeling matches and, like, having those big-time-feeling events um, in the York Hall. But, yeah, outside of those scenarios, it, it can be hit and miss, <laughs> to you say know, the least. You know where I feel it's, it went wrong uh, was when they stopped being able to use, like, a wider pool of talent. So then they were very much only able to use the guys that they'd built up themselves who hadn't got anywhere else, which is a much smaller pool of talent. Like, remember... Um, when we had that Suzuki Gun Mustache Mountain match. Like, that was, like, this is Andy Q's dream factory and uh, open for business. That's uh, that's what I wanted to see. It's like, where else are you going to see that? Apart from, like, maybe OTT. And then um, they got put on the naughty list uh, with WWE, and mm-hmm. you just kind of lose all the potential dream matches that you can you can do where you can throw New Japan against guys who are from the other side of that political wrestling spectrum. I, I do think the whole WWUK thing has definitely given them a knock on the head. Like some you know, that's the sort of thing that makes you grow grey hairs having to deal with all of that shit. Like <laughs> Yeah, and I understand um, this has been ex- an exceptionally hard period of time for, for Andy Quilden, but like I feel like he's really struggled to replace the people that he's lost. That if you look at matches like like he's trying to get Rob Lias over, and with all due respect to Rob, he's, he seems like he's a way off being at a level where he should be wrestling at your call, and yet here he is in a match going over. I will say that uh, this new alliance with South, well, I mean, the Southside promoters might provide a lifeline for that sort of thing, because obviously, like... It has been a tough time with the whole WWUK stuff. Having some backup in that regard, even just on the business side of things, probably yeah, I, well, will help out Andy sort I've stuff been out. Saying, I've been saying for a while that I felt like he needed a lieutenant. He needed yeah. somebody to take some pressure off. And if that is Ben Old, then so be it. My own personal feelings about Southside and <laughs> the Olds. Aside, uh, I think that it's a good business move. It, coming on the back of a show that I really didn't like, 
it's probably not going to ingratiate him to me. If that makes sense. The South Side have been not exactly my favourite promotion. Yeah, well, I mean, if RevPro starts throwing together import six-mans scrambles, then uh, <laughs> we'll know the South Side influence is kicking in. But I think, like, in just in terms I, of I like organisational stuff, it's going to help. Yeah, it's just so they can run more shows. They can run more shows, they can run in established venues. It's going to make it easier for them to make money, which in this environment is a massive positive because I get the feeling yeah. money is not flowing freely uh, <laughs> into the coffers at uh, Quilden Towers. Or in um, Britrest Towers in general. Britrest Towers, the, the fact that everything seems to be collapsing. And I, I asked a question on uh, Twitter uh, this week about why does nobody run in Birmingham? I promptly had... Uh, a couple of conversations with people about why that's not the case, and it was it was very much uh, you can't you just can't afford to rent the venues, which got me thinking about people who rent pro. venues. I, well, no, because <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to be uh, off your rocker to start a promotion in this climate. You'd have to be completely insane. The breed guys, we're going to get to this later, but the breed guys yeah. are finding out just how difficult it is to start up a promotion in this day and age. And we'll get to that later because we still have stuff to discuss with Red Pro. But like, I really wanted Red Pro to establish Birmingham as like a second base because they run London, that's the biggest city in the country, second biggest Birmingham, run there, establish that as a second base instead of trying to run Southampton where. With all due respect to Southampton, nobody seems to give a shit down there. Um, everyone on the South Coast goes to Riptide, and uh, they're just not drawing well enough there. So I think it's an opportunity to take like a second base, and they've gone with uh, where Southside run, which is a lot closer to them, and understanding... Uh, the, the do's and don'ts of promotion a little better after this week. I can completely understand why they're not trying to run in Birmingham, but that doesn't make it any less disappointing. My thing with RevPro is always that it gets so close sometimes. Like, yeah, it is a promotion for the most part where it does feel like wins and losses matter. It does, you know, as as we've already said, it does ape the the New Japan feel at times. And then, then it just doesn't quite commit to it, and it ends up like a, a jumbled, incoherent mess. And that's kind of to finish off my thesis that I was going off on earlier. It, the third scenario, and the one I feel is kind of most likely and kind of where we are at, is that the people running RevPro want it to be both New Japan and Attitude Era at the same time. And honestly, I think that's just creatively incoherent because I think they are two things that are they clash too much and you lose the benefits of both sides in doing that and I, I, unfortunately I feel like that's almost where we're at and that's what feels so frustrating to me because it, at times it does feel like it's getting there it does feel like it's presenting something because there's a very clear market for a New Japan like promotion in the UK as you can see by New Japan drawing what was it? Over 6,000? It was, it was 6,119, which I have a suspicion it was more than that. 
and they're just not including comps. They they usually don't. They usually don't. Is I think it's is... probably around seven. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine so. There was you know it was it was packed, and there's a clear there's a clear energy for that sort of product. And you get so close to it, and it's so frustrating to see them not commit to it and end up in this sort of thing. Because, yes, while the storyline, while maybe we had our expectations slightly wrong, maybe we should have expected bullshit like this, it's frustrating that that's the case because of the main event of the biggest slash one of the biggest shows for one of the biggest UK promotions of the year to be slapstick comedy when you have two of the best wrestlers in the world you're handicapping yourself, and for me, that's just incredibly disappointing. And I don't see why I have to accept that. I've been told to pipe down more than once. <laughs> it's like, why? What's the problem? And it's like, well, the problem is it sucks. So why? Why do I have to take it? it I don't. That's the whole point of criticism. <laughs> it, it's one. It's one of those things where, like, if that's what the people running the promotion want it to be then that's what it's going to be. But at the same time, I feel it's a massive missed opportunity. And I don't think it's some uh, insane uh, wish to think that it would be great if the promotion that draws based off New Japan talent and is linked to the, the promotional partner of New Japan in the UK could book with a similar spirit to New Japan. I don't think that's some crazy wish that's completely out there. And maybe he doesn't want it to be that, but ultimately I think that's him misreading at least a large segment of his audience. I think it doesn't help that different people seem to go to different shows, so like it depends who he books on the card. So you book anyone from AEW. He's playing the cockpit crowd, which are like, you know, the hardcore insiders, the York Hall crowd. But that's like a hundred people. You're more, yeah, well, yeah, but they, they, you know, they're the hardcores. Then you got the the York Hall crowd, which is maybe more like, I guess, an AEW kind of crowd. And then you know, as we say on the South Coast, where they just don't give a shit. <laughs> it's difficult to juggle all of that, and it's also, I guess, difficult to kind of kill your babies. Like obviously, this, I mean, it is Andy Q's vision. It's his dream factory. But like, as you say, Rob. Like, sometimes you need to lean into something harder than you may probably wish on, like, an egotistical level to make it better. And so, like, if you you, know, you grow up watching these angles and you want to repeat them, and, you know, as, as I said, it has been a very, t- like, it, it's been the buzz of Twitter, it certainly was that weekend, and you could argue that any publicity is good publicity, but... Um, like leaning more into the sports presentation at this time when New Japan is running the Copper Box and absolutely packing the place, and there is a real uh, hunger for that sports presentation. Sometimes you may have to to leave that idea on the table, as enticing as it is to to recreate the Attitude Era. <laughs> I really don't think they've had a good year. I don't think Rare Pro have had a good year at all. If you look back at, at what they've been doing and what they're... It, if you go for match quality, which is something that me and Rob talk about quite a lot, if you look at the match quality that they've delivered this year, it's been noticeably down on pretty much every year that I've been going. 
you just haven't got those high-end matches and you haven't got the consistency of good matches on the uh, on the cards. And that in itself is is contrary to what uh, they're going for if they're going for that New Japan market. And, so has and there been like a change in booking this year? I don't know. And and here's the thing, and you know, I promise we we'll, we will move on to the rest of the card soon. But we've talked Probably about <laughs> well, you know, we'll, we'll breeze through it compared to this this match. But the we've talked about how the crowd reaction at the end didn't work, and I'm not going to say because it would be a lie to say that the crowd was dead through all of the bullshit, but. I think it was fairly noticeable that the crowd was a lot more consistently hot through the first non-bullshit section of the match compared to the, the bullshit section. Like, people were reacting to the actual, like, events in the bullshit section, but other than that, it was kind of dead. And maybe part of that was the length of the match, the length of the show, and it was very hot, etc., etc., etc. It was hot they and seemed, late. They seemed pretty, the crowd seemed pretty damn hot for the first, you know, before the bullshit started. That's, you know. But also... Taking a more general look at things, the way they're booking at the moment isn't fucking working because when the New Japan guys aren't there, RevPro doesn't draw. So whether you whether you want to to do your attitude era stuff and you think that's cool and you're enjoying it, in terms of drawing, it's not working because the only time you know we, we talk about the Southampton stuff and that sort of thing, that shit ain't drawing. That that, that those shows aren't drawing well. The only time RevPro draws well is when they've got the New Japan guys. For me, that, that says something. That says people are invested in the New Japan style of presentation and they're not invested in what RevPro is currently presenting. That's that's my take. Now, do we have anything else we want to say before we move on to the rest of the show? I think we've said plenty about that. <laughs> I think I think we've we've nicely... Let's see the time. You know, it's only taken us 50 minutes to do one match. Um, I have no strong opinions on any other match on this show. I've I've got a few takes. I've got a few takes. So we'll we'll rush through it. So initially, there was a pre-show six-man that neither of us saw because we're still in the Dundee Arms. So we can uh, skip off that. The uh, the LA Dojo Boys won that. (laughs) Yeah, the, the LA Dojo Boys won that one. So well done to them. Congratulations. Um... Then there was like a contract signing between Suzuki and um, Okada. That was a that was a kind of cool touch. Um, then we had Gabe Kidd versus Sean uh, defeat Sean Jackson. That this was a fine match. It was a very Young Lions match. Um, it was fine. It was nothing special. Nothing memorable really. Oh, Gabriel's gone off to uh, LA Dojo now. Yeah, um, I, he's, he's a guy who him. I really think a couple of years down the line he could be. You know, he could be something. He could definitely be something in New Japan. Yeah. He's and he, he's also noticeably already really toned up. He was always like a bit of a hoss, uh, and you know, always muscular, never fat or anything. Yeah, but no, he was always kind of chunky, but he wasn't really he's, like he's he's a lot more toned now. Yeah, he's and, got and definition he's, in his abs and stuff. He's he's only twenty two. Yeah. Yeah. So people are saying, oh, he's he's been around for a while. He has, but he's still only 22. When he started in like WCPW, he was 18. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah I, he's definitely one to keep an eye on because I think if, you know, barring injury and stuff like that, I think he's a guy who's going to go far and a guy I definitely look forward to uh, keeping a track of over the next few years. Then we had the, the Rob Lyers beating TK Cooper match that you talked about that as you said, really didn't feel like a match that belonged on this caliber of show, especially with how long the show went. 
this was an easy cut, especially with the finish, right? It was a count out, right? Like, yeah, it was an odd one. Um, and also, I, I don't know, man. I, it's something we harp on a lot, but I hate crowd brawls. It's like you, when you're not at a show with like 50 people there, you're deliberately cutting off the, like a large chunk of the, your audience from watching what you're doing. That's, that's always something that just annoys me. It's also very anti-short person. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why I, I'm so annoyed by it. Uh, then we had CCK versus uh, Maloney and MK McKinnon that ended very badly. Um, so how about those two, like two bad finishes in a row as well? That we we should have been kind of sensing the omens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this. So what happened in this match? It was going along fine. wasn't like amazing. wasn't terrible. Uh, then they kind of did. Uh, Maloney and MK were doing a like a kind of whisper in the wind. No, not whisper in the wind. What's the uh, poetry in motion type deal? Where uh, Maloney's are like on hands and hands and knees, like in a crawling position. Um, Gresham's in the corner. MK's doing to run and like jump off. He does it the first time. He slips off. So he immediately goes yeah. back and does it again. Which you know, ignoring everything else that happened following that, uh, is always like, Ugh, what a annoying dumb thing to do. Just don't like that. It's such low creativity to just go back to the exact same spot after you screwed it up, but whatever. Uh, he does it again, slips again, and looks like he lands on Gresham's leg and injures Gresham, and the match immediately is called off. Um, yeah, as you said, bad omen for things to come. Uh, then we had a six-way scramble, um, which had Hikuleo, and it was kind of a mystery deal, so it was each person that came out was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, Hikuleo, Mike Bailey, Robbie Eagles, uh, Rocky Romero, uh, Senza Volto, who actually ha had a really strong showing and very much got over. I, I hope he's booked more going forwards because he looked really good here. Um, and then the eventual winner, Sonada, who did fuck all in the match, but was very over for the, the brief time they were in. Um, so, you know, that's that's Sonada for you. Um, that was actually one of the... That might have actually been the best match of the night, all things considered. Like, weirdly, you could almost argue for the main event because the first half hour was so good, but I don't know. Like, it's that's that's a hard one to evaluate as a whole. Um, then you had Aussie Open versus Bodum and Shah. This was going pretty damn well and then ended prematurely because it had a three count that was almost surely meant to be a two count on Bodum. Yeah, the, another bad omen for things to come. Uh, at this point in the show, it was like, wow, this is a bad show that isn't entirely their fault. And then at the end, it was kind of, wow, that was a bad show. And they kind of made it their fault. Um, yeah, they, they did the, their kind of slingshot into a cutter thing that's always a signature never really a finisher uh ref counted three carl fletcher was arguing with the ref saying no that was a two for a few <laughs> seconds before he before you, you could kind of see in his face like Shit, I, <laughs> I can't be the one saying this um yeah this was this was awkward as fuck uh shah kind of jokingly slammed the ref the ref rolled out the ring Boda was furious, looked like he was shooting, like, laying in some real fucking stiff st uh, stomps on the ref uh, until he was pulled off by some of the LA Dojo guys. Yeah, that that looked a little ugly. Um, yeah, this was a real shame, especially as this, I'm, I'm guessing, since it was kind of, this was a match where the winner got to go on to um, the Royal Quest show the next night. I'm guessing New Japan people were probably watching this, so 
I'm guessing all four guys weren't particularly pleased that their match got ended up like this. Um, it was an ugly situation, but I did think they managed to do a very good job of saving it after kind of the, the initial moment of awkwardness where Shah got on the mic, said like, oh, this is a fucking conspiracy against me, against us, kind of playing into the, the you know, that there was a clear fuck up, but he's kind of making it part of the storyline. It kind of gives a little more spice to the, that feud between Aussie Open and Bodum and Shah going forwards. Um, then um, Aussie Open kind of cleared house on uh, Bodum and Shah. Uh, Aussie Open cut a very long promo that was very clearly shit. God weren't ready to come out yet because the match was not supposed to have finished at that moment. So we'll cut a long promo while they get ready. God come out and fuck were they over? They were shockingly over, weren't they? Art? Uh ridiculously so. Yeah, uh, I'm not seeing it myself, but um, well, they've never been in the country before, so it might just be a everyone's really excited to see this tag team that. I, I don't get it, to be honest because um, there ain't I'll... nobody bigger than Gorilla. <laughs> Pretty sure it's Gorilla, but whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just not interested in any any of that bullshit. Like the, um, I, I don't like Tama. Uh, I don't like any of the the Bullet Club, basically. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't really understand why they're over but i'm a little bit higher that, um on them than you but i even i was like shockingly surprised by just how over they were in the building uh there was like a, a good like four or five minute like chant going back and forth between aussie yeah. open and and them and it was the hottest the building was all night it was an amazing atmosphere which is that... weird because that's the one time i wasn't yelling stuff <laughs> i was just like well everyone else seems to be enjoying themselves i'll let them get on with it the, the, and that's that's the thing about this show. This was a bad show, but it was the best crowd Rev Pro have had in god years. Like maybe since the the um the the show that had Osprey versus Skull versus Styles and um what was the other match in that O'Reilly versus Kushida. That was the last time I remember a crowd that hot for for a your call show, and that's going back a long way. Um, and it was packed too. It was it was all set up like the the things that weren't the show were excellent about this show. Um, other than the heat, the heat was a bit hot. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of the the post match stare down done. Then ELP v B Oko. This was this was a match that kind of struggled pacing wise early, but ended up very good. And by the end of it, I was like, fuck, Oku is. Because, you know, I've, I'm a fan of Oku, but I wasn't quite sure how over he'd be in York Hall because prior to this, his his ascent has been on the cockpit shows for the most part. He is a made man in that promotion. That he It, it was it was great if you, seeing... If you sit and wrestle once, you're on board. Yeah, that's true. That's what I feel. Like Because I I hadn't even seen him wrestle... Uh, well, no, I had, I'd seen him wrestle for progress in a, in a tag uh, before a show. And he was so outstanding in that match. I was like, this guy's got it. Yeah, and then... I hadn't seen him properly, like, in his current incarnation before I went the first show I came back to after my hiatus. And, yeah, like, I wasn't that into the show previous to his match with Pac. But, yeah, <laughs> he definitely won me over. So, I mean, he's been an absolute revelation and very, very fun to watch. Yeah, and again, though, I think... They've looked onto that because he's gotten over uh, by just 
touring the country and being outstanding everywhere. And then the big promotions are like, oh, maybe we should give him a go. And he's just he's gained all that uh, that experience over the last like year, year and a half. And he's just kind of channeled that into a character. And like the character has grown. I think he's just put little bits and pieces onto it. And his work's gotten so much better. And it's just uh, everything has come together like a perfect storm for him. And yeah, he is small. But you don't have to be big to get over. And you look at some of the biggest stars in wrestling over the last 10 years. And you, know, you just look at guys like... Uh, at, Punk or Daniel Bryan or Pete Dunne, you don't need to be big to get over, and he's got everything else. And he's got the t- kind of body where it looks like his frame can fill out. It's kind of just give it time and you know consistent working out, and you know even that won't be the weakness because at the moment that is like the restricting factor for me. It's that he does, you know, he is a little thin. Is uh, the the believability is like a slight stretch, but it he's not a million miles away, and he's getting he's getting there slowly. Yeah. So I, I and he's that young makes too. him a makes him a better underdog as well because you yeah. really want to root for him. That's fair, but it kind of limits the like he he almost has to be an underdog yeah. at the moment where you That's know true. you can think two three or four years down the line maybe he's he's um put on some some muscle mass and. You know, all of a sudden he can be, he's gone from a great underdog to a great everything. I, I feel like the cocky heel champion version of OJMO that we're going to get in about five years' time is going to be absolutely fucking sensational. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, like, he, he's got he's got this crowd connection already, and that's in many ways the hardest part, and he, he's got it no trouble at all. There is one concern that he did have a, a neck problem this weekend, and he needs to take care of himself. I mean, he does work like every show everywhere. So you know, unfortunately, that wear and tear happens. Happen. So he's got to take care of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, then we had the semi-main event of Suzuki Gun, uh, Saber and Suzuki going up against Tanahashi and Okada. Saber pinned uh, Tanahashi, and at that point, everyone was like, "Okay, Tanahashi's winning tomorrow." Um, well, yeah, I said that, and I was like, "But you can't, you can't, you're surely not going to put the belt on Tanahashi." But then, yeah. What, I think, what I, I think, Ta- well, obviously Tanahashi did win. I think he's probably def- uh, beating Zach again in the rematch and then eventually losing to Osprey after Osprey beat him last night at the G1. That's kind of the, the way I see things. Uh, that's kind of the way I see things going. As a match, this was like very forgettable, but it was kind of like a, it's really cool to see Okada and Tanahashi team up live. Like that was a cool moment, but like as a match, you know. It was, it was Tanahashi taking a night off. Uh, the he day does before. that. He, yeah. To be fair to him, he didn't take as much of a night off as Naito took at Royal Quest. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. And Not then, the night off. Hey, oh. there we go. Hey. Um, and then we've we've very much covered the main event. Uh, I don't think we need to add anything more to that. Um, we've done Southside. And RPW, do you guys want to add anything to that? Are you cool? Uh, uh, no, I kind of thought they might go after um, IPW UK because that has basically collapsed in on itself again. So I thought they might go after that as um, a weird world where Southside has more brand value than IPW. Yeah, but it's true though. But, 
<laughs> this is where we're at <laughs> by yeah, this well, point. Southside, the difference is Southside actually has like a fan base. Yeah. <laughs> they actually I, ran shows that people went to. <laughs> yeah, IPW um, did a stupid vanity show in New York and then the guy gave the company away because it was losing so much money. That That's what the problem was there. Going back like a, a year or maybe two, um, that probably would have been the better option for Rev Pride to just kind of regain that part of their identity. And it would have been pretty sweet for Andy Q <laughs> to just turn around and go, yeah, I'm going to buy this piece of shit promotion out and just uh, use it. So he could cackle to himself. But he wouldn't have got himself a lieutenant, which is what I feel he needs. So that's what he's got from uh, from the deal. That's what he's got from Ben Holt. And hopefully, uh, they will be reputable promoters. Ready to move on to Royal Quest and fake over? I am. Absolutely. Uh, Royal Royal Quest, I have one match that I have a really, really strong take on. I, oh, yeah, I can join you in on that one. <laughs> um, obviously, the, the undercard, bit of a mixed bag. Um, some of the wrestlers put some effort in. Like, you know, your Ospreys, your, your Eagles is who wanted to, to put on a show in front of the crowd. And then you had some other guys, Tetsuya Naito, um, who just didn't give a shit. And yeah, it really was just a complete night off for him. I thought Kota Ibushi took it pretty easy as well, although I can kind of understand that. He had a pretty rough uh, summer. But yeah, Naito, jeez. Uh, like he turned up and hit Destino and the crowd were like, yeah, and that was it. Did, did he done. even hit Destino? <laughs> he did. It wasn't even in the match. It was afterwards. But that oh, match was yeah, 13 minutes long. And Oof. it really, I mean, really felt I must it. have been on my phone. Well, I, I, at some point, I sat next to Matt Yano, and we just made jokes throughout. <laughs> Probably that match. But yeah, the match that I had the, the strongest take on was the, the Kenta Ishii match. So if we can get to that yep. first... Um, oh boy. <laughs> so I, I'm sat on Cage Match right now, and it's come up as a recommended match. On um, what? Yeah, it's a recommended match on Cage Match. It has a. I've, I've never seen a match rating. so bad that people treated so good. <laughs> like, I, if I it saw had been... people after the show who were saying, oh, I thought it was all right. What? <laughs> what I, I mean, it looked like Kent was like about to die at any moment. I was like. I was horrified, but the crowd just willed it into being something. (laughs) It started fine. They went about 10 minutes, and then Kenta got dropped on his head and knocked loopy, and he couldn't do anything. He literally couldn't do anything. So, like, he was trying to... He tried to do, do like, a scoop slam at one point, that you know, that snap power slam thing that he did, and he just kind of ran into Ishii's midsection, and his arms didn't work. (laughs) <laughs> so this, I mean, I'm laughing. We're all laughing about it, but it's like this guy had a serious head injury here. Why on earth did they let this go into the ten minutes against Ishii? Yeah, not not the guy who's gonna like cushion you through the end of a match, really. Um, I mean, he he did like Ishii. Once he realised how fucked Kenta was, he really did just walk him through it, baby steps, making sure he was okay. He did a great job of taking care of him. Like Nick Gage did to um, to David Arquette when he uh, when he lost it, it's very much a case of that Ishii realized the situation, realized what he needed to do, 
and he was a model professional through the second half of this match, but it was a terrible fucking match. It had a god awful run in uh, with yeah, just straight in front of a referee. Oh, just right. In front. I don't know how much of that was just because the plan of the match went completely out the window. But it's been a long time since I saw a match go that completely off the rails in front of my very eyes, and six thousand people are just sat there with me going, "Oh no." This well, is supposed- I don't think it was six. Well, I think a lot of people, I don't know, were just making noise <laughs> and loving it. I I'm don't know. Glad it was some bizarre people were into to- it, and I'm yeah. surprised that some people who I think are quite wrestling intelligent coming up to me after the show saying they thought it was pretty good, and I was like, "What?" And that that cage match recommendation for me is just shocking. Just at the <laughs> end, seeing Kenta not even be able to like get onto the top rope. It was just sad to see. He is literally just a name on the back of the shirt at this point. Like, I think I think that's pretty harsh. When you know, th- this match was not the normal Kenta performance. He very clearly got. If not yeah, but I feel like this has happened before as well in the G- like after ten minutes, like he turns into not even like a botch machine, just sort of baby legs wrestler. I don't know. Obviously, this was extreme circumstances, I, I feel, like but I feel like we've seen this before. During G1, I don't think he wrestled particularly well, but he had good matches because he knew his limitations and he stuck to them. Uh, ev- occasionally, a match went off the rails, but nowhere near as bad as this. Yeah. Well, I don't think he got concussed in any of the other matches. No, I'm pretty I sure assume he, did. he was concussed. Because, like, like, obviously, this was a yeah, a, like an accident and like a freak occurrence, but also... I don't know, it felt very similar to what we've been seeing from him before. I don't know, I'm not going to mark him down for getting concussed. <laughs> like, these these things happen, unfortunately. I, I'm just yeah. stunned that some people thought it was a good match and didn't yeah, see that, was, that there was, that, that was, there was a very clear and obvious problem there that you, you would have to have been either not really paying attention at all or quite intoxicated to miss <laughs> like how badly that went. It well, speaks I... for how up for it everybody was. Like, everybody was so excited for this show. There was definitely yeah. a buzz, but there hasn't was, been for a lot of the year. I was very up for it. I was very up for that match. I was very excited. As soon as they released the card, I was like, that's the match. That's the one. That's going to be the Don. And, and man, Kent was so over as a heel. It was awesome. Yeah. And then... I was worried he'd get cheered, but it, no. <laughs> no. that was like... Wall of heat. He got he got cheered in my section. <laughs> I was oh, in well. I was in the bullet club end. I think. Oh no! Poor oh, you. Dear. Um. Yeah. So I was kind of like behind the entrance, like board thing, um, like upper level, obviously, so I could see the ring. But um, so you could kind of see the wrestlers once they'd made their way through, like the entrance way, um, and then go back down some steps on the other side of it. Kenta, like, collapsed almost down that those steps on that side. That's how bad it was. Like, someone had to kind of, like, almost catch him at the bottom of them. It was... It, the man did not look well, and he was in a hospital by mm. the end of the day. So, yeah, poor poor guy. And you know what? All things considered, I thought they... After, like, a middle portion that was absolutely, you know, absolute shit because, you know, the guy was concussed and it was a complete mess, I thought... They almost managed to pull it back very, very slightly for the end. But, you know, this wasn't a good match, but there was a a huge asterisk. Um, Yeah. It was a great atmosphere. Oh, incredible. The atmosphere was was fantastic for it, but yeah, it was not a good match at all. 
Um, so we'll go with uh, G.O.D. versus Aussie Open uh, as the next match to cover. This was another match that had a, a, a very good atmosphere. The guys weren't quite as over as they were in, in York Hall, but both teams were pretty over. They were, they were dueling chants throughout. They got their dual chants before it started. Yeah, um, it was... That kicked off pretty loud. And it was a pretty good match. But the weird thing for me here was, the best thing about Aussie Open are the Mark Davis hot tags. And we didn't really get one. Like, he, he did one uh, where he kind of came in and charged across the ring and Tama tried to clothesline him halfway across and yeah. he just ran straight and through And then it. he kind of got cut off. And it was like, ah, you, you never quite got the full Aussie Open hot tag, which is like the best thing about Aussie Open. Yeah, I think he's been toning that back a little bit because he's. I feel like there was a level of criticism that they were basically just doing the same match every night out, which I kind of understand. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted to feature Kyle more, and yeah. But Still, it, it was a very good match. And like for Gorillas of Destiny, I think it's uh, as good a match as I've seen from them since the uh, that tag league where the final was ridiculously good. Was it? Uh... GBH? Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, Maccabi and... Honma. Honma, yeah. Back when Honma was good. Ah, memories. Um... Yeah. Because I, generally, I don't like their matches. I just feel like they're very sticky. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. That was good. That's probably like my fourth favourite match of the night. Which <laughs> I think I'd have it as third, actually. I Yeah, I loved that Eagles and Osprey against uh, ELP and Ishimori. wasn't just an absolute like, balls-to-the-wall 10 minutes of sprint. Um, I felt like the... The difference there is like the two matches before it were very like meh, and they came out and just just went straight for it, straight for the uh, the gas pedal, yeah. and um, it was such a difference in like approach that I just I just loved that match. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanahashi beating Zack Saber Junior to become the champion of the British. Um, Good lad. I don't like their chemistry. I never like any of their matches. I'm not. Like, I don't find Tanahashi a comp- particularly compelling grappler. And I think Zach works best when he's in there with someone who is very compelling at grappling to grapple with him. Or when he's in there with some, like, uh, bruiser. Ishii. Like, I- Ishii yeah. or, or a god. Someone who's going to beat him up and that he's going to have to, like, survive, grab onto, and just, like, grind them out slowly just by hanging around in a match. Tanahashi is neither of those two. He's kind of... Mm. So much of his matches depend on like the grace of him, and that's not really what you get with Zack Sabre matches. I never really love their, their stuff. They tend to work best um, when Tanahashi has something that is a clear injury going into the match, and then you have Zack sort mm. of torturing him. And it's more about uh, Tanahashi's will to overcome his own uh, body and the aging process because he just doesn't want to take a, take another loss to this. Uh, this British punk. Uh, that's when they're telling that story. I'm very much invested in it, but I, I don't feel like he came in with any established injury here, and that kind of hurt the uh, the style of the match. So basically, so, both guys need to be getting beaten up, and obviously, if they're facing each other, that's <laughs> you know, one person has to be doing the beating up. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I still enjoyed crowd- it. This was this was good. The crowd, like, really fucking wanted to love this. And, like, 
for the early portions they did, but I did think that, like, for portions of this match, this was the only time for the whole show where the crowd kind of got distracted and were chanting, sh like, random shit and stuff. Like, they... They they wanted to love this match so much, but you could sense sections of them being kind of bored. I I did think it came together quite well for the finish, but this wasn't any sort of great match. And when you yeah, have two fair. great wrestlers, these I certainly two don't think it's the best match. Under I don't think it's the best match they've they've had or or close to it. There's I try to remember what the match was, but like Tanahashi came in and he was he was badly injured. I can't remember when it was. Um... I was think that was last year. first G1 match. Um, New Japan Cup? Might be New Japan Cup. Not important anyway. It's the, the, I feel like they've had a couple of matches that were at a really high standard and this wasn't at that standard. It was like a little notch below where a couple of their other matches have, have also fallen. Mm, I never really enjoyed their matches, but whatever. Um, yeah, well, from, from my point of view, that's... Yeah, yeah. Um, that's where I'm Okada Suzuki, though. Oh, yes. Fucking hell, what a match. Like, I, I have historically not been anywhere near as into the Suzuki-Okada matches as... Um, as a lot of people, especially over the last few years, I found Suzuki is slowly like I'm getting my hit rate with him's dropping lower and lower and lower. So coming into this match, I wasn't like super hyped or anything. How, Fucking hell, they delivered. Though, Minoru Suzuki saves all his best work for the UK. He does. He does, and he's a god <laughs> here. He's a god here. It's. Fucking... I just don't understand why he's so into coming to the UK. <laughs> I think it's just like the first time he came. We all sang along to his music, and now he's like, oh, I love this place. <laughs> all my best matches are going to happen there now. Because like, he killed He absolutely killed this match. He was fantastic. Like, he he drew the crowd into everything. Like, the, the crowd was so hot because it's like they, they recognize his signature stuff, and he just wants to draw them in and then shush them quiet so he can smack a card with the elbow, and then it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, back again. This was oh, so this, good. this was his big match of the year. Like it isn't going to get any bigger for him, so yeah, he a, saved all his best stuff. Match, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's got a great big crowd, appreciative crowd to to perform in front of. I think he had a, a whale of a time out there. I think he had uh, a great time in his uh, little English trip. Yeah, this, this match definitely lifted up the whole show for me. Like um, you know, I enjoyed the atmosphere. I enjoyed being there. But like, I don't know. Like if this match had, hadn't been as good as it was you know it would have been a, you know a pretty middling show overall yeah. i thought but yeah this one really really delivered it had all the trimmings of the iwgb title match um and obviously i got very annoyed with everybody cheering for brock lesnar like fucking hell well <laughs> 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 oh, i i know who that is like i, I was Standing next to Mort, who was booing him, so I didn't actually hear anything else. <laughs> He's got a very <laughs> like, boo. You know, I, I want it, especially after the whole Jericho thing denied us the like the presentation. There hasn't like been an IWGP Championship match with like the full trimmings for for ages. So it was fun to see it in person in the UK and have a little bit of British wrestling history. And yeah, the match was. Fucking good, <laughs> as we've already said. But it made a lot of sense to go as long as it did, because their previous two matches to this were both half an hour draws. So this one needed to go over half an hour to clear that and 
find a definitive winner, which I think was always going to be Okada, but some of the the, the gotch pile driver teasers <laughs> did get me at the end, that's, thinking yeah, that maybe thing. he's going to get it. Like, going into this match, I, I would have never thought they'd have bought, got me to buy in to, to yeah. Suzuki having a chance, but there were, there were, like, the way they structured this match was so good that there were moments where I was like, fucking hell, we could do this, you know? He, like... They could give him a gold watch IWGP championship right? because he's never won it, and he's yeah. getting towards the point where if he's going to win it, he's going to have to win it now. And it was like, fucking hell, they, they might do this, you know? They I was just thinking, won, but there's like, a chance. How, how many shows are there before the Dome? There's plenty of time. Yeah. yeah. I was starting to justify it to myself and think, you know, they, they, could, they could have him win here. And that that's how masterfully they structured this match. And it was, it was so cool because... So, some of their previous matches, it had been like, oh, Suzuki kind of hyper-focuses on a limb, and that's kind of his tactic, and it, a lot of the time, for me, it was kind of like, it dragged out, their matches kind of dragged, and they didn't have, like, the the energy to them. This one, it was like, fuck you, I'm Minoru Suzuki, this might be my last ever, like, huge main event IWGP Championship match. Fuck it, I'm Suzuki, I'm a shoot fighter, I'm gonna not, like, hyper-focus on a limb, I'm gonna beat the crap out of you, then I'm gonna drop you on your head, and I'm gonna pin you. And fuck it, he got damn close to it. He he brutalised Okada in a way that you haven't really seen in some of their previous matches recently. And it was just glorious. God damn, like, this was my favourite IWGP Championship match this year. And that covers out Tom of, Ground. Out of the two ones I've seen live, this was my favourite one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this, this... Uh, when we're talking about uh, like the UK match of the year, I don't know if we'll be included in this, but like this is basically the best match that's happened in this country this year, I think. Yeah, and with the importance of it as well, that puts it over the top. <sighs> and also, uh, Suzuki hit a Sakuratoshi, which I was very excited about. I saw that. I saw it happen, and I was like, I bet Ollie loved that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... In terms of like overall show thoughts, I think the biggest positive to me was that it felt so much like a real New Japan show. And yeah. I was, you know, we had that strong style of old UK thing that was just a Rev Pro show called a New Japan show. This felt like a New Japan show because it was a New Japan show. But there was there was a little bit of me that was slightly worried that it would feel like a, a, a scaled up version of the strong style yeah. of old UK. The it ring didn't. sort of not looking proper kind of annoyed me. But it, they played all like the videos and they were proper um, and had the English subtitles as well. So yeah, it felt authentic. <laughs> the crowd that's, was that's awesome. That's all we wanted, the arena really. Ruled. I think they learned from that because they went and did the that American show earlier in the year in uh, Dallas that started the G1. Yeah. And that just felt right, like, all the way through. It, they probably Yeah, this felt in the same way that the, the G1 Dallas show did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could think you consider this a success. Obviously, oh, 100%. Obviously, big crowd, um, very receptive crowd. And even though they struggled a little bit throughout the card, I think some of that wasn't their fault. And then... The main event was absolutely sensational, so I think we'll call that a win. It very much felt like one of those destruction shows where the undercard, there's not a whole lot going on, and then the main event rules. And it's kind of like, well, that was kind of a, a one, maybe two match show, but at the end of the show, I'm feeling very satisfied. Mm. Um, oh, that's the authentic New Japan experience. <laughs> <laughs> very mm. much so. Um, and 
I really hope this becomes like a yearly tradition or something, especially with that venue, because I think they've they've found the perfect wrestling venue in the UK. Because I, I don't know about your, your guys' seats, but I was like right at the back. I had a tremendous view. It felt like every, yeah, was, every seat in the in house the had a great view. Uh, I was like row two on the like on the 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 back, so like as it was right raised up above the floor, and I was looking at the floor seats and thinking, I'm really glad I'm not on one of those because that was a big space and there was a lot of rows. Yeah, maybe maybe that would be the like the the one area that wasn't ideal, but for the most part, I thought it was a tremendous arena for wrestling. Tiered seating is always a winner for me. Yeah, um, I would I would rather be in the nosebleeds than like row seven. And like acoustically, it was great as well. Um, I, you know, this 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 would be the destination for big time UK wrestling if if I had my my choice. I I love this place. Yeah, I enjoy it. It's very organised. The uh, facilities were great. I have no real complaints about the cop box. I think that the one the one major problem is they weren't particularly keen on letting people stand at the back. Um, so I, I was stood up and I got told to sit down. I'm like, oh, my my knee hurts. I can't. <laughs> and they were all right with that. So um... <laughs> get a doctor's note. <laughs> Little tip for everyone: just, just a whole row of people of with sore knees. Sore knees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it it was good. It was packed. It was a great atmosphere, and it felt authentic. So, so a lot a lot of positives. Um, then at the exact same time, uh, Fakeover NXT UK Fakeover Cardiff was occurring, and I haven't seen this, so I, Ollie hasn't seen it either. So yeah, so I'm just gonna quickly NXT UK. <laughs> you could probably just like record it by yourself later. <laughs> I'll, I'll just quickly run through things. Um, uh, Noam Dar beat Travis Banks in a nothing match. Uh, Cesaro beat Dragonov. Um, this was. This was a match where I was like, fucking hell, I miss seeing Cesaro get to go out there and just wrestle, because he's fucking good and it's easy to forget. Um, I hated Dragunov in this match. Like, all our fears about, like, Dragunov in NXT UK is going to be, like, all his facial expressions turned up to 10. No, they're turned up to, like, 20. It's, it's, oh, it, he, he, I hated him in this match. He, he, I found him so annoying. And, and it wasn't necessarily the work. The work was all clean and stuff. It was, and it was hard hitting, but like, God damn, like I couldn't get, it. this was the sort of thing where like, if someone who's not a wrestling fan walks in and sees Dragunov pulling those faces and those weird like poses where he's like doing kind of the, the Rocky bring it on like pose. It's like, nah, uh, I wasn't about he, that. He was a hyped up real person in uh, WXW and now he's a cartoon character. Yeah, like, in WXW, it was touching on, like, too far for me, and then it's, like, time, times everything that by, like, five in, in WBUK. Um, yeah, I couldn't get past that. Um, the three-way tag match was actually really good between uh, Flash Morgan Webster, uh, Mark Andrews beat, winning the titles off the Grizzled Young Veterans, with Gallus also there. That was Mark Kofi and Wolfgang. Um, those two were actually really good together as a team, uh, Kofi and Wolfgang. Although the match did go a bit too long, it was like twenty minutes, but it was like a a three way scramble tag, and those don't need to go twenty minutes. It was weird, um, and that was kind of like a problem for a lot of the show. It was weirdly timed out. Um, you then had uh, 
Joe Kofi beating Dave Mastiff in a last man standing match. I don't really like last man standing matches much, and this was no different. Kaylee Ray beat Tony Storm for the women's title, and it was like nine minutes. And it was like, why is that match nine minutes and like a nothing match? Because it was so short when you've got a 20 minute like freeway tag. And I think you've... Tony's hurt. She's got a, a shoulder injury. That might be an answer. That might make some sense because the match was really a nothing match. Um, but I heard this would be a, a classic we'd be watching in 20 years' time. Well, it's... It, that was William Regal said that, didn't he? He looks for different stuff. William Regal has bad taste in wrestling. Let's put it out there. I know everyone <laughs> respects him so much, but he has bad fucking taste in wrestling. Um, I'm not afraid to say it. Um... Then Volta beat Tyler Bate in 45 fucking minutes. Now, I hate long matches more than the average man, but fucking hell, this went... Like, this was, like, hard-hitting, it was well-worked, but damn, I didn't care by the end. It was like... Look, I'm not saying this was a bad match or any any stretch. It was, it was a very good match, but I can't call it great because it, I was not engaged throughout because when you have a match that long and in general i would say just don't have a match that long because 45 minutes is nowhere near the optimal match for a, a singles wrestling match but if you're going to go that long you need like a a narrative through line to keep you engaged and this was kind of just two guys trading bombs for the full 45 minutes and like i guess the story was it's Tyler Bay against the odds being so much smaller, managing to hang with him, trading bombs for 45 minutes. But I don't know, there just wasn't enough there to keep me fully engaged. Like, it was it was well worked. There was plenty of in, impressive feats of strength. And I know a lot of people will probably go, oh, well, you just gushed over that Okada-Suzuki match. For a start off, it was 15 minutes shorter. It was two-thirds of the length. And also, the Okada-Suzuki match had a far clearer narrative through line of these two are going to absolutely batter each other. Suzuki's going like a bull, just going at him, murdering him, trying to get him beat up enough that he could hit the, um, the, what's this fucking power driver called? Gotch style. Gotch style, there we go. Don't know why that escaped me for a second there. Um, and he's going to hit, when he hits him with that, the match is over. And that was the, the story of the entire match. This match, it was like, these two are going to trade moves for 45 minutes. And there were some very cool moves and very impressive moves and cool counters and stuff. But I don't know, it just didn't hook me personally. Can we have like an armistice on these long main events? Like 40 plus minutes. It's... Oh yeah, don't watch Noah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not even talking Noah, but like, it just this weekend alone, like the the shortest main event we saw was a match that had to go over 30 minutes for story purposes and was an IWGP championship match. And somehow all these other matches around it go even longer. It's like, obviously I hate, you know, masturbatoriness in wrestling but like I, does anybody enjoy watching every single main event go over 40 minutes it's I, there's so much other shit that you could do in that time <laughs> well, <laughs> like that, watch dinner date that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the thing about this this card was so weird it was so weirdly timed out like i said the the women's match went really short but as you said it may be because tony was hurt um the the, the tag title, like, scramble tag match went 20 minutes. The main event went 45 minutes. And then you it was like they felt they needed to fill the show out. But then they had people like Pete Dunne, Jordan Devlin, Chris Hero, 
not on the show at all. I mean, it's in Cardiff. Wild Boar wasn't on the show at all. Uh, Rhea Ripley was relegated to the, the pre-show. Like, what's going on here? You couldn't find... You couldn't cut, like, some needless time off, off one of those two extraordinarily needlessly long matches to, to put one of them on the show? I mean, I guess it all comes back to the problem of the... Six matches, isn't it? Well, also, it's... NXT UK isn't like a real promotion. They don't like they they're just there to stop other people using people. So they're not actually trying to draw. So they don't need to put their stars on the card to draw because they don't actually care. It's not a show that matters. Uh, they don't, despite Pete Dunne probably being the biggest star on that brand, they don't need to put him on the show because they don't really care what they draw. They just want they they just use it as a holding pattern to stop people being signed other other places. Unfortunately. So yeah, that's that's NXT UK Fakeover WWE Universe Cardiff colon Takeover etc 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 with like a million different colons in the name. I was thoroughly pleased with my decision to go to the New Japan show instead of the the NXT UK show, but uh, I was actually, you know, what really got a chuckle out of me seeing the NXT UK show. Announced that they were sold out while still selling tickets <laughs> and cordoning off half the arena. Like, what, what, what the fuck? Uh, nothing, me- words don't mean anything more anymore in the WWE universe. It's just <laughs> whatever we say is the truth. The show is, they, were, they put a video out saying the show was sold out. And they were still selling tickets. Like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, it, if selling tickets mattered for that promotion, and obviously it doesn't because they're, you know, NXT UK doesn't matter. But if selling tickets mattered, can you imagine telling people, oh, you can't buy tickets anymore, so don't bother trying while still selling tickets? Like, what the fuck is going on there? Jesus Christ. Um... Right, so that's the that's the three big shows covered. We've got some some new stuff to to uh, to go over now before before we close up the episode. All right, let's... shall we discuss OWE UK? Shall we? Um, their Twitter has disappeared. I just l- went looking for it, yeah. but it's not there anymore. So this delayed tour, by the way, um, is highly likely to be permanently delayed. Yeah, the the OWE UK tour has been delayed, not cancelled, due to unforeseen circumstances. We will be making further announcements as soon as we finalise things. But yes, having deleted their Twitter account, I'm not sure where they're going to make these announcements. So, (laughs) it it has been a bit of a mess, to say the least. And very difficult to sort of find out what is actually going on here, because the... I mean the the official the actual OWE China account is making saying different things to the OWE UK account or at least what it was saying before it has disappeared and then you've got Sean McMahon who was one of the promoters one of the directors I think he was calling himself of uh Marshallism Sport and Culture Communication UK trading as OWE United Kingdom and he's been making his own comments on his personal Facebook page. Uh, he said, I've decided to resign as a director due to what I feel is the misconduct of the director and OWE China, which is a little bit confusing. But I think basically he had a disagreement with the people he was running the UK side of things with, as well as 
the Chinese operation. Well, I don't think the Chinese but also, part of the operation were aware that there was a problem. <laughs> well, <laughs> the the Shima tweeting, what's happened in all caps, is definitely a runner for Twitter, Twitter of the year. And it would have been the funniest tweet of the week had it not been for a little bit of a bubble. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of worrying. Um, isn't... I'm trying to remember what the company is that... Um, Sean McMahon is connected to is it is it him or is it the other guy that's connected to TNT? Yeah, that's uh, the Jay other Apter. guy, Jay Apter, who I believe is the other director in question. Yeah, he's head of UK creative, Jay Apter. <laughs> um, yeah, apparently he's saying this has nothing to do with uh, with uh, TNT. <laughs> Basically, I think he's washed his hands. Uh, of the whole thing, yeah, like, but all the payment went through to his company. Nothing else on TV, which has also disappeared yeah. on Twitter. Uh, did so you see wrestling the money back off of him? Might be yeah, difficult. Jay Apter's uh, Facebook statement uh, concluded with, "On behalf of myself and TNT, we wish OWE and OWE UK all the best in their future endeavors." That says it all, yeah. doesn't it? That's it's just, yeah, it's a ghost ship. <laughs> like, like, what? The... You'd have thought that line would have come from the McMahon of the <laughs> Touche. Yeah, this is a really weird... And was Sean McMahon... I, I'm, like, the the word midget has been getting thrown around. Was he the one running the, uh, the Little People wrestling show? Or was it somebody else? I don't know. I feel like um, there is disreputable stuff going on here. Um, yeah, to say the least. He's changed the address that the company belongs to to something else. Uh, apparently, according to the f- the comments underneath the Facebook post from OWE, it all just seems like a whole bunch of mucky stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, and he, he also yes, threatened I've... someone who writes for the Daily Mirror today. <laughs> so, oh um, so it's it's been a, a red yeah. letter day for uh, the McMahon family, <laughs> UK branch. So I think I think it's fair to say that this um, delayed tour will probably not be a delayed tour and instead a cancelled tour. Um, what they were gonna do, I think it was two shows at the Dome yeah. and then two shows in Liverpool um, in December, and they were bringing in a, a crazy bunch of talent. Like there, there is no way any of AEW. those shows would have turned anything approaching a profit. No, it was. It was a very strange venture, to say the least. They were bringing in all like the Chinese guys as well. I mean, it would have been a hell of a show to I go to. to I was going to go the... to the Wednesday at the yeah. Dome just to go and see all the Chinese guys. So, yeah, it would have been crazy to see. So I, I've had some contact from kind of two different ends. One from kind of the Brit Rest side of things. Uh, and one from somebody kind of secondhand from someone who's been talking to OWE on the China side of things. And basically, what I've been told since the very start, before any of this kind of bullshit came out, was that this was always something that was very, very loosely associated with OWE. And essentially what it was is someone in the UK wanted to take advantage of AEW, but couldn't get a relationship with AEW. So they thought, well, if we talk to the Chinese people and we get allowed to brand ourselves as OWE, uh, UK because they're affiliated with a- uh, AEW, we'll get some AEW fans, and it was kind of like 
So they went to OWE and they said, can we use your name for our, our new startup promotion? And they went, yes, as long as you book a few of our guys, because, and this is kind of the crucial bit, we want our guys to work in the UK and get visas in the UK and show that they don't overstay their welcome in the UK, uh, sorry, uh, overstay their visa in the UK, because then we feel we may be able to present that to the US and help with the visa situation over there. And that was kind of the the deal there. It was like, right, we'll book your guys. And I also had it insinuated that they weren't going to be paying for any of the OWE talent. It was kind of going to be like, Fiber well, yeah, that they'll, they'll come over, work your shows just to show that they will come over and work a show and then leave when the visa's up. That, that's what I've been told. I don't have that double source, so that may need, um, you know, I, I can only go off what I've been told, but that, that's kind of the story I've got there. Um, and when you see how things have all played out, that kind of seems to add up somewhat. Um, yeah, they they were apparently... The message as I was getting was that OWE, like the Chinese section of OWE, had not been particularly happy with the the way that the communication had been going for, for a little bit. And obviously this was an explosion of it, but, uh, you know, it hadn't been happy campers for a while. Um, I heard a suggestion that ticket sales were quite bad and that was a contributing factor. Right, yeah. And, like, you can you can see over in... This is a different situation to, like, OWE when they did the shows in Canada. That was... For the same purpose, it was that we're going to get a visa for Canada and show that we're going to go to go to Canada, not overstay our visa, and then show that to the US and go, look, look, we <laughs> we won't overstay our visas, we promise. Look, give us a visa, please. Um, but that was like, OWE were far more hands-on there, and while they did lose money there, that was kind of like a, well, we'll run the show for this purpose, to sh- for the visa purpose, basically. This was a separate company running the show, so them losing money kind of has necessarily led to the shows no longer existing, which, you know, it's it's nice we got that whole boom out of the way. Now we can go back to old school <laughs> rest where shows are getting cancelled yeah. all the time. Uh, promoters are telling on each other to, to get shows banned, etc., etc. Which has absolutely so, nothing to do with the breed um, cancellation that we were going to talk about as well. Oh, my life. So... Imagine being such a rat, like, honestly. I'm not saying that a rival promoter has ratted them out to the council for not having the correct license, which then takes, uh, I I can't remember how many days it was. It was five days notice, so it's like they deliberately timed it so it was right at the cutoff, but they basically grasped them up for not having the right license. Breed uh, were of the opinion that they did have the right license, but um, when the council went digging around, they discovered they they did not. Um, I've spoken to a couple of other promoters about it, and they've basically said, I've never heard of that license before. I think they've been right-fucked. So, um, Shockingly, there's not much precedent for running wrestling. Yes, but somebody's obviously done a lot of research on it and thought this was a fine opportunity to completely fuck up the weekend for everyone that was attending that breed show, making them, uh, you know, a bit more buyer beware about breed in the future, which absolutely sucks for them because, you know, they've been trying really hard this year. Um, 
Yeah, and this cave show was like yeah. a big chance to sort of like they've sort of been branded as a bit extra by <laughs> the community, but like everybody was really on board with the cave wrestling stuff. Like even the people who they had maybe previously annoyed in the past, like this was sort of their second coming out yeah. party in a way. It's like you know we're cool, we're relevant, the, we're doing brought, interesting brought Daniel stuff. Daniel Maccabi over from Canada for it. Yeah. Um, that's such a shame. I know. But... I feel bad for Daniel because now he's that was the big show that he was on. He tried to get himself rebooked yeah. for the Sunday, but basically nobody's running. Um, so he's going to come over and wrestle in Hex, a nightclub in Sheffield, in front of like two hundred people, and that'll be his his UK experience. Um, I hope he has a much nicer time. Can these in grasses not just get like another hobby at all, like? Take up video games or something. Like, why you, do people have to do snitch, this? <laughs> you're going to the like the the lowest circle of hell. Yeah. All those people who tag Jim Cornette on Twitter, you'll be you'll be next to the cunt that ruined this show. <laughs> uh, I did actually ask. I I went and had a chat with uh, Mitch uh, from Breed and asked who he thought had done it, and he's like. I don't want to talk about it, so uh, um, I'll be going up. I'll go to the the heck show on uh, on the Saturday, and I'll I'll have a nice time. Um, but yeah, it's it sucks for all the wrestlers who got fucked over for the show. It sucks for all the uh, the fans that had tickets to it, and it it just sucks in general. It's terrible for the promotion. It's terrible for the wrestling in this company. And if that is your mentality that uh, let's go and uh, snitch out this other company for personal, petty, selfish gain, then you've been watching the Houses of Commons debate too much. <laughs> oh, my life. Yeah, I'm pretty pissed off about that, to be honest. That's um, that's very disappointing. And I'm glad that people understand, yeah. but I'm also aware that how likely are you to book a ticket to, to breed knowing that they might get the rug pulled out from under them by somebody snitching them out again? Even if they, I mean, they were extremely careful with the licenses for this show and yet apparently they, they were missing one somewhere. So it's really hard being a promoter. I do not recommend it. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Be wrapping up on it hasn't been the most joyful podcast, really. I've but, had a nice know, time. Brit rest is fine. Brit rest is I, fine. I enjoyed <laughs> Rob' very impassioned rant. Uh, um, just some like uh, some closing stuff, some odds and ends that uh, we'll sort out. If you've listened to any of the other podcasts on this network recently, you've probably heard we're as a Voice of the Wrestling podcast network, we're moving over from Audio Boom over to Red Circle. Now this, for those listening, should make very, very little difference. Um, everything, the RSS should be continuing, so you shouldn't need to refresh your podcast or anything. If you do have problems with it, then maybe try unsubscribing and resubscribing, but really if you're listening to this, then it, you've probably figured that out already, given that you're listening to this. Um some of the, the two small changes that will happen is you may notice that the the number of this episode is very different to the number of the last episode. That's because Audio Boom had like a function for like seasons or somewhere along the line. I don't necessarily completely remember the reason why we did it, but we changed from like 
we got to like 50 episodes and then we went to like season two of the show after taking like a four or five month break or something um because that's not a, a feature for red circle uh, although they're wonderful in many other ways um we're going to continue our total numbering so we're up to like episode 80 or something now just so that we don't have like two episode 33s or something because that could get a bit weird um so if you do notice that that's why and secondly over on the red circle website under the britrest roundtable there is an option uh called sponsor the podcast and this works a little bit like patreon or um where if you do want to give us money you can now we're not going to push to that too much because you know for one we don't necessarily release a particularly regular podcast and two you know we're not particularly shill heavy people especially Arn, he'll curse me out if i plug it too much i don't know if you um, listened to the the podcast uh where you weren't on it well you must have done because you edited it but i actually did the full voices of wrestling plug at the end of it and i did it word you perfect. did i was very proud <laughs> i was very proud um so yeah, if that is a thing, if you do feel you want to do that, but if you don't, that's obviously completely fine. We're happy that you listen. Um, there, the options there, I think there's one-off donation and also like monthly thing. Um, yeah, so if you want to do that, you can, but we're not going to continuously reference it or like push towards it. It's it's whatever. But if you do, we would appreciate it. Um, it will buy an extra pint in the Dundee Arms or whatever. At those um, prices, plugs. good lord, no. <laughs> we'll have to go to the Weatherspoons. No, that's true, that's true. The spiritual home of Britrass, Weatherspoons. Um, Ollie, do you have anything to plug? Um, well, my Twitter, another Ollie. I'm back, sort of, and I'm aiming to maybe do another Twitch stream next week and find out who wins the uh, very prestigious Ollie Cup. So I will drop that on the Twitter as well. That's Fire Pro, right? Fire Pro Wrestling. There we go. There we go. Just just to be clear. Yeah, I'm not actually booking a show. Um, this isn't Arm I, Pro. I'm also not actually booking a show. I have had people uh, actually DM me about that. Some wrestlers may have done. Um, <laughs> I'm not booking a show. It's not happening. You can find me on Twitter, though. I'm at Arnold Furious. I currently don't have a website, so you can kind of catch my reviews over on 411 Mania. And it, hopefully the website will be back at some point. Those damn hackers. Yeah, they fucking ruined um, it, mate. They just smashed the whole place up. Like, online vandals. Very rude. Probably the same guy who... Very rude. Same guy it? who cancelled Breed Wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so I got a bit of a, bit of a cough. Uh, you might have to cut that out. <laughs> yeah, do, do you want me to cut that out? Yeah, you probably should. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll cut that out. I, in fact, I'll beep that because it's funnier. Um, okay, yeah, that'd be better. Oh, you can find follow me over at BritRest Round, uh, where for all my wrestling takes and angriness and various things. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Oh, and uh, on the other side of the credits, there may or may not be, depending on how lazy and how much I remember to do the edit, um, there may be a little treat from the Dundee Arms as a, kind of a post-credits th- scene. So uh, if you if you fancy it, stick around for that. See you whenever we record the next one of these, which is completely random. So it'd be a nice surprise for you and a, probably a surprise for us too. But, uh, bye. In my, in my defence, I've been drinking for quite a long time.
is you fucking embarrassing what he's just delivered this evening. What do you say? Tonight, you fucking ruined that company. Yeah. I agree. They fucking ruined that company. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.